0: Very happy to welcome to Forward Guidance Luke Groman, founder of Forest for the Trees. Luke, great to have you on Forward Guidance. We are recording in the middle of a pretty severe sell-off in the bond market. TLT is down close to what one and a half, two percent, and the ten-year is now above four point five percent. Is it fair to say the bond market is is melting down? Is that too dramatic a, a phrase? And do you you know how bad will do you think it will, it will get?
1: I think it's too dramatic to say the bond market is melting down right now. I don't think it's too dramatic to say that unless the dollar is weakened meaningfully or unless oil is lowered meaningfully, the bond market will melt down.
0: What does meltdown look like?
1: Meltdown to me looks like a version to you know, the TLT doing a version of what repo did in September of 2019, which is 2%, 2.2, 2.58, 10. Oh, crap. Fed comes in 48 hours later with not QE, QE, puts it back to, and away we go.
0: And how much of the sell-off in bonds is due to economic conditions? So you know growth being more resilient than expected. How much of it do you think has to do with supply? I th- I think it's mostly, I don't think it matters. And that's, I think, the
1: part that people don't get. It's probably because it's like, which snowflake touched off the avalanche and killed you and your entire family while you were skiing? Like who gives a shit? You're all dead. I think initially it's better growth. And the reason why I say it doesn't matter is because there's first and second derivatives to this that, I don't, that, that people still don't understand. They obviously don't understand based on things they're saying, writing, etc. cetera. Okay. And what do I mean by that? Yes. Growth is better. Okay. Why is growth better? Well, not because housing's better, not because ISM's better, not because services is better. What's better? U.S. federal spending, which is 25 on its way to 30% of GDP, is up 15%. U.S. federal outlays are up 15% on a year-over-year basis. Usually only happens in a recession. U.S. deficits are at almost 8.5% of GDP on a trailing 12-month basis. Only ever happens after recessions, or in the middle of recessions. It hasn't happened with three and a half percent unemployment like ever. And that's why I say I don't think people understand the second derivative of that question, which is, is it because growth is better? Yeah, why is growth better? Because deficits are damn so so darn high. And why are deficits so high? Because rates are rising. And that's people don't understand, we're in this feedback loop. Well, growth is better. Well, yeah, growth is better because friggin' deficits are at eight and a half percent with three and a half percent unemployment and federal spending is at, is growing at fifteen percent. When when almost thirty percent of your economy is going fifteen percent, hey, guess what? That's four and a half points of GDP right there, right? Fifteen percent times thirty percent is four and a half points. So great. What's so higher for longer? Okay, let's do higher for longer. Let's go to six. Now you're you're right now the four and a half or excuse me the 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 rates where they are is five on thirty three trillion in debt pro forma, that 33 trillion times 5%, it's 1.65 trillion. You have $1.65 trillion of treasury payment interest stimmies being handed out globally and abroad into an economy where the private sector, ISM, ISM services, housing is shrinking. We know this playbook. We saw this playbook in in 2021 and 2022. What happens when you hand out trillions of dollars when the private sector supply chains are shrinking on a leg, big time inflation. Growth and inflation. Okay, guess what we're doing? We're just doing like a slightly modified version of what we did in 2020 21. Except we're calling it interest expense. We're calling it higher for longer. So, like the question of is it higher growth or is it higher inflation expectations? Yes, but this it's that second derivative that people don't understand yet, which is oh my God, it's the Fed that's doing that. And the higher they go, the worse they're going to make it. And there's no brakes on this thing. And when people realize that, oh my God, like that. And that's why I say, I think it's going to get very disorderly in a very short period of time. Because like everybody there, the TLT, the long US treasury, long-term treasury is a dogmatic position. People love that trade and they are sure they're right and they're wrong
0: yep and and they have a you know a, a back test chart of every time that ism has declined TLT does well, the long bonds rallies and yields go down and it's it's not working i'm right I'm right there with you it's not working it's
1: it's it's not working, and they're like they're like doubling down, they're digging in they're not saying you know under normal circumstances, they say, all right, I'm wrong and move on and they're not from what I can tell and like i said it's you always want to know where you know, who's on the other side of your trade? And I saw someone comment something on the other day on Twitter where they're like, hedge funds are short, like, you know, the most short treasuries they've been, like ever. And I'm like, oh my God, like, really? Like, that's, oh my God, because literally there's been, our, we've, we've, we've highlighted article after article for our clients. It's been written about for the last month. We remember it from 2019. That's one half of a trade. The yep. hedge funds aren't short those futures. That's part of the relative value trade. Yep. And it's going against them. And at some point, like this group of investors who, you know, Joseph Wong has had a, he's a brick, right? He had a great yeah. tweet on Friday. He goes, remember, the pain trade is higher. Back in late May, he said they're starting to put the relative value trade on. The biggest margin, one of the biggest marginal investors, buyers of, of treasury, of cash treasuries, not the futures, the cash treasuries. Our hedge funds and it's going against these guys. And these guys are very,
0: uh,
1: they have monthly mandates, right? So if a trade goes against them, they are not dogmatic. They,
0: they it's like, it's against us, we're out. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so folks are saying, look how short treasuries uh, being long cash- Cash treasuries. So I, For- they're harvesting that little, you know, minuscule yes. spread. Explain to me how this is a bad thing because I talk to people all the time who say, Higher for longer isn't realistic, but they say it for a different reason than than you. They say because the economy can't handle 4%, 5%, 6% rates, and that it's gonna throw the economy into a slowdown. What you're saying is actually that higher interest rates are stimulative and perhaps and actually they they stimulate growth. That sounds to me like a, a good thing. You said there are no breaks on that thing. Don't we want the economy to be vroom vroom, you know, at a 120 miles an hour? What can what 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 can go wrong? This sounds like a good thing.
1: It's a good thing if you're long if you're not long bonds, and it's a good thing if there is if the U.S. federal debt is not what it is, and they can finance any rate, and they can't. There's a rate at which it becomes so mathematically obvious that even the staunchest uh, I have to be kind here analysts support that there's not a fiscal problem will start to go. Guys, there's a fiscal problem. And I would argue we passed that point about three weeks ago when when you had like the Washington Consensus in the Washington Post going, hey, how come the deficits are so big with unemployment so low? That's really weird. We've never seen this before. So if you have rates go up, it's on a lag, it's basically an interest payment stimmy. So the government's going to spend. Okay, fine. That's going to drive growth. That's going to drive employment. Yes. The challenge is, is that the private sector that you need in theory to finance those deficits will be shrinking it's a classic crowding out problem i'll, I'll use an extreme because it's just easy math let's take let's say the fed goes higher for longer takes rates to i don't know uh, 10% you know i don't think they're going to do that it's just easier math than seven so let's just do 10 okay so you're going to have 3.3 trillion in pro forma interest expense 10% times 33 trillion that is about 12% of GDP, right? So 26 trillion GDP, 3.3 trillion on top of that. Okay, so l- roughly 12% of GDP stimulus. In the meantime, all of the bank's holdings of treasuries are gonna be wildly upside down. The, ho- the housing market is gonna be really tanking. Anything interest rate's gonna be tanking, interest rate sensitive. So your government revenues are going to be falling dramatically. And as a reminder, we're at, you know, we've seen revenues down 20%. It's down more like 7 on a trillion 12-month basis now. And they should get a little bit better, actually, in the coming months. But your revenues are going to collapse at 10% because we're a highly interest rate sensitive economy. We've financialized over the last four years. So now you're going to have the government running you know 3.3 trillion in interest a trillion in defense 3.1 trillion in entitlements so that's 6.4 plus a trillion is 7.4 trillion in outlays just in the big 3 receipts fell from 4.8 4.8 trillion to 4.2 trillion just with what the fed just did we haven't even really caught up on interest yet so say that number goes down another 20% to call it 3.3 trillion which is probably conservative What's 3.3 trillion? The receipts? Receipts. Okay. Receipts. So you're going to be looking at what I say, 7.4 over 3.3. Three. You're going to have a $4.1 trillion dollar deficit. Okay. $4.1 trillion dollar deficit is just short of $350 billion a month net you have to place, plus roll, which Jamie Dimon said next year over the next 12 months is $5 trillion in roll that you need. Okay. Now the dollar is going to be rising like crazy in that because you're going to be squeezing out the global dollar markets. Well, foreigners have $7.5 trillion in treasuries they can sell, including $3.8 trillion at the central bank level. So you're going to add on a net supply basis to that $4.1 trillion deficit plus $5 trillion roll plus up to $3.8 trillion as these nations sell to defend their, their, their currencies. And, and people say, well, that's a position of weakness. They're, they're selling to defend their currencies. Again, who cares? They're selling. All I care about is what's it do for rates in the bond? They're selling. And they will sell aggressively. And so that's also going to take receipts down as it puts more upward. So, what you can see is, and oh, by the way, the Fed's supposedly going to be selling a trillion too still in QT. Of course, they won't be in that case. But this is why I say I don't get the sense people understand there's no breaks on this thing right now. Like, oh, as soon as the hedge funds go the other way, and they will eventually, there's no breaks. There's no breaks. The Fed are the breaks. And people say, well, they can buy it all. I'm like, yeah, they can, and that'll have implications for gold, Bitcoin, oil, dollar, and they're going to have to buy it all.
0: With oil at 9,500. So you said the hedge funds go the other way. Now they're long the futures and short the cash. Or are they taking a directional position in U.S.? I'm just saying yeah. they have to. If they're the biggest marginal buyer, one of the yeah. biggest marginal buyers of Treasuries, to take that position off, they
1: have to unwind it at some point. Whether because they've made money or because they're they've they're getting stopped out. Right. They, uh, so are, they you, are not. Yeah, they're not buying for any. They're not like central banks who can like buy for political reasons. They don't have to mark the market. They don't have to explain to their investors why they just got carried out on a trade. It doesn't matter. Right. The, the Fed's the Feds lost. What have they lost? A trillion on their bond portfolio and they're, they're burning 300, 400 billion a year cash losses. Like they don't have to explain it to anybody. They don't have to explain it to anybody. H- investors, hedge funds, they have to explain it like monthly. And, and if they lose, start losing too much money, they just get taken out of their seat, replaced. So like that, they're not going to stay for a trade that goes against them.
0: What, uh, so you said, you know, to make it simple math, 10% rates all across the curve. And then you, I think you, you multiplied that just by the um, amount of, of, of debt, roughly 30 trillion, you can give us the, the good numbers, but what about that? You know, all of the U S debt is financed over a T- term of you know one day to thirty years, and I'll, I'll, so much you know of that is fixed rate. So the ten year, you know, if they, if they borrowed at one percent and then interest rates go to ten percent, that interest expense stays flat. It's only the it's only when it has to be refinanced when interest rates go up. So how have you seen real financing costs go up relative to that assumption that of just you know multiplying the debt by the the interest rates? And then also, is there a, perhaps a benefit of if everyone in the world Banks, the Federal Reserve, other central banks bought a voluminous amount of treasuries when you know yields were at one percent or one and a half percent in 2020, and they bought that at, at par, hundred dollars, and now that's at seventy dollars. Is that not in some way some sort of gain to the government that you know some way they convinced the everyone in the world to buy buy their debt at too high a price, too low a yield?
1: You know, when Jamie Dimon says they need to roll five trillion in the next 12 months, that's what is that? Twenty percent of the debt. Enroll right off. Right, and I want to say over the next two years they've got to roll a little over half of it, right? So, and that leads to a question of, hey, with rates at basically zero, why didn't they term it all out? And there's two possible answers to that: a) they're galactically stupid, or b) they can't. In other words, and that's the dirty little secret that I think nobody wants to talk about. But I'm from Cleveland, so you know I don't, I'm not couth enough to not say it. And the, the answer is is. The deepest, most liquid market in the world ain't very deep and liquid and certainly not deep and liquid enough at the long end to place the, the deficits and the size that we're throwing, that the federal government's throwing them off. And, and that's, you know, if I'd have said that five years ago, that would have been highly inflammatory and controversial. And now it's not at all. Like if you talk to someone, like you talk to, to, to people in senior seats, it's, it's very obvious that's the reason why they didn't turn it out. He's just not talked about in polite company. But like I said, I'm from Cleveland. So as far as the second answer, is it a gain for the government? Yeah, it is. There's a great quote from William McChesney Martin, the Fed governor that everybody loves because he was the guy before Burns. Mm -hmm. The quote is when McChesney Martin was the assistant secretary of the Treasury. I believe he said it in 1951, right after World War II, when our debt to GDP looked a lot like it looks now or it did certainly five years prior uh, to 1951. It is the lead quote on a white paper from Carmen Reinhardt and Bell and Zabrancia from 2016, I think, called the liquidation of government debt, which ought to give you a pretty good idea of, of <laughs> you know, liquidation. We're watching the government debt get liquidated as we speak. The quote is regarding the two and three quarter non- non-convertible issue of 30-year treasuries. We want to meet these concerns head on about whether it is a trick issue. It is. And it's a trick issue because guess what they did? They turned it out and they, you were not allowed to convert it, I guess. And basically the real value of those 30-year bonds in 1951 went to zero by 1980 in terms of what they bought, you know, oil was two bucks in 1951. Because inflation went up and because interest went up, so it was worth less. It does. Yeah. The the real and the nominal value collapsed too, for sure. But the the real, but my point is, is like, you get to do that once. You can, you can snucker the world once. And then you get what we're starting to see, which is I tweeted about it yesterday. I wrote about it last week. Tavi Costa has this great chart showing that downside volatility in gold for the first time in 45 years is less and long-term treasuries. Markets are telling you gold is less risky than treasuries now. They pulled it off once, they snookered them once, oh my God, but you didn't fix anything. If you're gonna do that, you need to get GDP down. Like that's, you know, 45 to 51, US debt to GDP went from 110 to 50%. You snooker people, real rates went to negative 13. It was what it was, there was a different time and and an understanding of why that had to happen, whatever. They've snookered people and debt to GDP is exactly where it was when they started snookering people. And so now you have to, you still have to place all this, right? Two trillion, assuming no recession, we have to place two trillion next year. And this is Jamie Dimon telling the world this two weeks ago. And also we need to roll five trillion next year.
0: Now what are you going to do? If the playbooks of the last time debt to GDP was this high was you know, 1945, it was, it was over 150%. What was that snookering? What happened? Why why can't the U.S. government snooker bondholders around the world again? But first, tell us what you mean by snookered. It's just negative real rates, and
1: it's been my playbook the whole time. We wrote so. So, so what happened then was you know, ten-year treasuries were long-term treasuries is how they have it historically. We're at two percent in nineteen November nineteen forty-one and Japan bombed Pearl Harbor, and overnight, the 10-year treasury, long-term treasury went from two to two and a half, and the Fed came in and kept it at two and a half. They kept the 10-year at two and a half. They kept the the short end, I want to say at three-eighths or three-quarters, I don't remember. So there was a slightly positive yield curve, and they kept it flat from 42 to 1951 for 10 years. And as a bondholder, you got paid every dime you were owed and you got killed on a real basis. At worst in the United States, real rates were negative 13%. Post-war, at, at worst, real rates in Japan were 60%, six zero percent. In parts of Europe, in Australia, they were negative 30 to negative 40%. At worst, you lost a ton of money on a real basis. Thank you for your donation to the war effort. And by 1951, debt to GDP was down to 50%. And then they were able to separate Fed and Treasury Go back to independent Fed policy, and you can start to manage monetary policy separate from fiscal policy again, because you can do that without blowing up the system. Fast forward to 2020 and early 2021. Wrote In early 21, I wrote a report for clients that said they need to run the same playbook. <clears throat> Go back to late 2020, Jason Furman, Ben Bernanke, Larry Summers, Olivier Blanchard, Ken Rogoff, all were part of a discussion of a white paper by by Furman and, and Summers saying we need to run the same playbook. We need to basically inflate this away. And what I wrote and, and analyzed in a simple analysis was that I, the last time the Fed was able to, to manage policy raise rates without blowing something up was when rate was when that the GDP was 70 to 80 percent. I said, so we need to go from 120 to 70 to 80 percent. And the simple math in terms of negative rates needed to drive that were somewhere between negative 10 and negative 20% real rates in the United States for three to five years. That's it. And at first in 21, it looked like they were doing that. It's like, okay. And then politics got involved in early 22, the Russian war got involved, the election got involved. And all of a sudden the Fed said, oh, we need to, we need to fight inflation. Okay. And at first, I didn't believe they were going to do it because like, well, they have this playbook. They laid the playbook out pre-20, right? The, Black, the BlackRock White Paper in August of 2019 is like, we're just going to inflate this away. We're we're going to go direct. We're going to fiscal and the Fed's going to buy it. And then it happened. And then they went direct and they did fiscal and the Fed started buying it. In 21, they did it. And, and Summers and all these guys blessed it. And then, in tw- so at first in 22, I was like, they're not going to reverse this. if They're going reverse this. This is going to be a disaster. And then it was like, oh my God, they're reversing it. So it was like you know i in early in in mid april 2022 it was like what they're doing the only thing it's this is good for is a dollar like everything else is going to go down treasuries stocks everything is going to go down then they bought themselves time last october when when they weakened the dollar by about 15% how, how did they do that primarily to yell and run and down the tga massively more than offset qt the point here is 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 what's the playbook they need to do is The Fed needed to let inflation continue to run hot in twenty two, and twenty three, and had they done so, we'd probably be getting to a point where debt to GDP was seventy to eighty percent by now, and they would be able to start hiking. And you know, in other words, that said that that the markdown of bonds from one hundred to seventy, at the long end, they needed to be one hundred to twenty, they need to be one hundred to ten. Like they didn't do enough because debt to GDP didn't come down. So they weren't, they weren't aggressive enough. And so now here we are and they haven't made any progress and they've already kind of run the playbook of like, okay, mark the debt down. Like, okay, you want to mark it down again? You can't because you didn't get debt to GDP down enough. If debt to GDP had gone down to 70, then you still have the option of letting rates go from five to seven to eight. It doesn't bankrupt you. With debt to GDP still at 120 and deficits at eight and a half, You let rates go from five to seven to 10, you're done. It's over. You go into a a feedback loop. And that's, I think we're starting to see symptoms of that feedback loop. I think the fact that gold has less downside volatility than treasuries for the first time in 45 years is a symptom that markets are starting to understand. The U.S. is about to go into a feedback loop. I think the fact that real rates have risen the most in 40 years and gold hasn't gone down is another symptom of markets beginning to understand the U.S. is that close to going into a feedback loop. You say, okay, well, what that, What happens then? They told you. They told you at Jackson Hole and no one wanted to talk about it. Duffy, Daryl Duffy wrote a white paper and Jeremy Stein commented on it. And they said, we're gonna, we may need to, the Fed may need to uh, tell markets and differentiate between market functioning purchases of treasuries and monetary policy purchases of treasuries. Wait, what? And like, to me, that was the biggest takeaway from, from Jackson Hole. There was a whole bunch of inks filled. Only a couple people picked it up, but like they know they have a problem and they're hoping this doesn't go against them. They're hoping, but it's gone. Like the math is the math. Hope's not a strategy. They're gonna have to do it. And I think they know it, which is why they're talking about it. at such an important meeting Jackson Hole. And I, I, we're rapidly heading toward that moment. I'm watching the gears spinning. And unless, again, unless the dollar gets lowered meaningfully or unless oil gets lowered meaningfully, this is likely going to happen.
0: So, interest rates ra- raise the fiscal expense, and they you know can create more debt to fund that expense. So that increases debt to GDP. But wouldn't higher interest rates also cause GDP to go down and, and nominal GDP, particularly you know inflation-dominated GDP? And it's because if, if, if you know, I think the way Jay Powell thinks about this is if interest rates go back to zero, that is not going to help the U.S. debt problem because. Inflation is going to run super hot and the government's probably going to borrow even more. And you know, not, not saying that you know, Powell is Volcker, but Volcker was very anti-debt. And unlike today's Federal Reserve, he was quite open about his desire to shrink the U.S. Uh, uh, deficit. In other words, you know, high interest rates discourage government borrowing because if you want to borrow at 20% to fund a government project, it's not going to work out very long.
1: Powell's no Volcker. He can't be Volcker. Deficit when Volcker did what he did was 2% of GDP. It's eight on a trillion to 12 month basis. Debt to GDP was 25 to 30%. There was literally Volcker couldn't hike rates enough to bankrupt the government. Powell can't. And it ain't that far from here. And when I say bankrupt, it's either the Fed comes in and caps it or it goes into a debt spiral. Powell uh, may, seems to want to mandate government policy, in other words, he wants to make government borrowing more expensive. Maybe he's doing that. But if that's the case, he needs to pick up a history book. Because I would challenge him to find a country with a purely fiat currency that it could print, where the government shut down, where the government shrank itself voluntarily he'd be very hard pressed to find an example. So what's he actually doing? He's actually increasing the deficit because when you look at what makes up the deficit, it's entitlements 31, you know, 3.1 trillion broadly defined, that's health and human services and social security. And so that's 3.1 trillion on 4.2 trillion in receipts. So that's almost 70% of receipts just on entitlements. And that's just, it. The, to be clear, that's just an interest expense. That's just the interest expense on the off-balance sheet liabilities. Let's go $100 trillion or whatever the hell they are. Let's just be clear and call that what it is. Defense. So is, is Powell, you know, people say, well, the, the bond market's doing, doing the Fed's job for it. Yeah, it's doing Putin's too. So is Powell saying we should shut down defense because he's raising rates? It's what he's doing. Is that the right thing to do for America? I don't know who elected him that uh, nobody <laughs> is it going to happen? There's not a chance. There is zero chance. He's going to shrink defensive spending by raising rates. All he's going to do is make the yeah. deficit bigger. So bigger deficits with three and a half percent unemployment. Now, can he shrink the private sector output? Sure he can. But if he's making deficits bigger while shrinking private sector output, he's gonna shrink receipts. He's gonna make deficits even bigger from two angles. He's gonna send interest up and he's gonna send receipts down, which is gonna send issuance up and the dollar up, which is gonna send more net supply up as foreigners sell to defend their currencies, which is send rates up, which is gonna send receipts on the private side down, which is gonna send risk. Rece- People say he hasn't broken anything yet. He has broken it and it's about to be marked to market. We're watching it in real time. He's broken two things. He's broken, He's he's on the process of breaking the treasury market and he's in, and he's already broken the US energy market because that's the other thing. How has he broken the US energy market? Oh, because shale is is interest rate sensitive. He and Biden have combined the SPR releases and Fed rate hikes. Last week it just came out the Permian is rolling over. Permian production is negative in, the AI, in in the AA data in, in October. Like so so let's let's get to we want to fight Putin. We're in a war. Okay. If we're really in a war, why isn't he buying all the debt? Why is he raising rates and why is he hurting oil? Those are literally the, the, the opposite of the two things that you do in war. So either we're not in a war or he's not acting interest in, the United, in, in the interests of the United States. I don't know which it is. You know, In World War II, in Vietnam, they have the Fed held rates below and we maximize oil production. I'm not sure if he if he's if he's doing this on purpose or or if he's just acting dogmatically to raise rates. But in the end, again, it doesn't matter. Like this is what's happening.
0: So let's say in a year, September 2024, the Federal Reserve has maintained an interest rates at 5.5% and is still doing quantitative tightening. What does that world look like? The unemployment rate, stock market, the long-term bond, the dollar, gold, tell me what that world looks like.
1: I don't think we make it September 2024. Before something really breaks in that world, he would need for him to stop inflation. If he wants to continue, if he wants to run this thing out, if he really wants to be Volcker, what he needs to do is when the 10 year spikes to six, stand aside. And when the US banking system starts to fail, stand aside. And when people start saying to him, oh, I'm an unsecured depositor, my money's gonna go away, stand aside. And when a treasury auction has a problem at that rate because of the net supply dynamics, because 6% implies a much higher dollar, lots of foreign selling, stand aside. And when oil's at 110, because it's 6% rates, there's not, stand aside. And the reality is, is he's had that chance to stand aside and he didn't. He did BTFP. He, you know, they, they, they just paused. They, they, they can't, you know, they have, he had the chance of back in March to do all that and he didn't. So to me, it's all about when, when does this supply demand dynamic create disorderly upside and yields where he comes in and does market function purchases of treasuries or to, for market resilience of the treasury market, right? And we saw a little hint of that last week in my, We had that uh, Treasury official come out and say, no, we're going to do, remember, we're going to do Treasury buybacks for the first time in 20 years for market resilience, to build and boost the resilience of the U.S. Treasury market, which is the deepest, most liquid market in the world, trademark 1985 USA. If it's so deep and liquid, why do you need to do buybacks to boost its resilience? You know, it's sort of like, you know, a few good men. You know, if you gave the order that Santiago wasn't to be touched and your orders were always followed, why was he in danger? Why did he have to be transferred off the base? Same thing here. If 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 the market is so resilient, why do they need to do buybacks? Why do they need to even discuss market function purchases at at, at, at Jackson Hole? Versus and and differentiate them from monetary policy purchases? Answer is, you know, (laughs) yeah, he ordered the code red. So I you know I don't know. what does that world look like if the world's still there if he stands aside, it's it's, it's a new Great Depression. He's not going to stand aside, and I think it happens way before then that he doesn't stand aside in terms of what rates do.
0: But what's going to break? So as you said, the Federal Reserve initiated the bank term funding program, which is allows you know my, my, my audience is very familiar with this as as you are al- allowed banks to borrow against their fallen assets at par. So that's a big help to the bank term funding program. But like what, when you say things are going to break, what, what be, please be specific. What do you mean?
1: The oil market, did, the U.S. shale business is breaking. Like that's, and this, to me, is one of these really interesting things. Is everyone is fighting the last war, the Fed included. Shale supported the dollar. Shale supported the bond market. Shale kept inflation low. 90% of global oil production growth over the last 10 years has come from U.S. shale. U.S. shale is now starting to roll over thanks to the SPR releases and the Fed rate hikes. People say, oof, if oil keeps going up, Fed's going to have to keep raising rates. Shale just rolled over. Permian Permian production is set to decline in October per the EIA last week. So 90% of global production growth over the last 10 years is now shrinking. So what... How is oil gonna go down if supplies, marginal supplies are falling? Oh, well, they can shrink the economy, but they're not shrinking the economy. The US government, the GDP is doing great. So you're going, they, they, the, the feedback loop between higher oil, which increases inflation expectations, which forces more treasury selling from foreigners because they need energy more than they need dollars. They need energy more than they need treasuries, no matter what anybody says it accelerates this feedback loop of net treasury supply rates up, rates up, interest expense up, interest expense up, more government spending deficits up, private sector down, private sector supplies down. Like it's a, it's hard to overstate how toxic this is. It's all like you, it's, it's plain as day. It is so clear. We're just now going to start to really watch it.
0: So, do you think that that everything being equal, which it never is, but everything being equal, interest rates, higher interest rates cause the price of oil to go up, not down?
1: Paradoxically, up to and, unless you're willing to like really crash the global economy. Yeah, yeah. Because then this is another factor that, like, if I was trading bonds and rates, I would be intimately familiar with U.S. shale. And the reality is, is most people that trade bonds and rates that I've encountered, like. They say, well, we're now one of the biggest producers of oil globally. And that's that. And they don't understand exactly that it's been 90% of global production growth over the last 10 years. They don't understand that U.S. shale is the highest marginal cost oil or close to it in the world. They don't understand that once you stop drilling, there's a treadmill effect. So basically, you have to keep growing production at very large rates. Otherwise, production falls. They don't understand that the that the uh, decline rate on the legacy production last month from the big four shale basins, Permian, the Bakken, the Eagleford, and the Niobrara were 6.6% per month last month. It's not a, it's not a linear rate of decline. It, the rate of decline declines over time. But again, they don't understand that. They don't understand that. If you hurt shale, you see the oil market back to Saudi and Russia. They don't understand what Russia and Saudi. Now, if we have hurt our own ability, if Powell with rate hikes and Biden with SPR releases has hurt our ability to keep oil prices down, what do we think Russia's going to do with oil this winter? Well, we don't have to guess anymore because they just temporarily suspended exports of diesel. You know, there's the rate silo and there's the energy silo. And like the energy guys I'm talking to are like, oh, my God. And like the rates guys are like, oh, don't worry. Like inflation's going to come down. They don't understand the pro cyclical nature of what rates are going to do to U.S. oil production and what that implies for oil inflation, for geopolitics, etc. And that's, you know the last three, four months, that's been the oil guy's gain and the bond guy's loss. And I think it's going to continue to be. And at some point, the bond guy's are going to go, oh, my God. And then things are going to get real interesting because once they realize that the U.S. has put a, you know, has, has put a bullet in U.S. shale production growth. So now Russia and Saudi control the oil market again. Why do I own TLT? You know, it basically limits your case to like they're going to literally fly the plane into the ground. They're going to they're going to crash the system. They're going to they're going to shut down. Like, can you get oil down? Yes. Shut down the economy like COVID. You get oil down. You get it goes negative. Failing that. But but oh, by the way, at, at the bottom of COVID in March of 2020, Treasury started selling off. Remember, Treasury market crashed. So, you know. These, you know, owning TLT is like trying to capture increasingly. It's like this shrinking, shrinking trade where it's like, okay, if they crash the economy enough, like they did in COVID, that oil really goes down and there's this short-term scramble for liquidity, well, yields will fall uh, as markets come, as stocks go into bonds. And so I want to capture it for the moment from here to like right before it crashes and yields start going back up again. And then before the Fed put... And and if if you can trade that, hey, great. But you but I don't get the sense people. I know I can't trade that. I don't. I get the sense a lot of people don't understand the game they're playing as it relates to that long bond trade.
0: What do you think happens with oil? Because you know we're close to a hundred dollars on Brent. Do you? I mean, do you think that there is a, a recessionary effect when oil gets quite high? As it, you know, oil went to one hundred twenty dollars in June. That's when you had a, you know, we're not calling it a recession. I don't think it was a recession, but a mid cycle slowdown and then up oil starts going down. What do you have happen? Suddenly we were starting to hearing about a resilient economy. So, I mean, is there a limiting factor where if oil goes to $120, the world will enter a recession or $150 because of demand destruction?
1: There's initial derivative effects and then there's second derivative effects, right? So if oil goes to 120 or 150, yes, it's going to slow the private sector dramatically. It's going to increase U.S. shale production in theory, right? So ISM is going to go up in the U.S. And so the Fed's going to need to raise rates even more, right? ISM all of a sudden is going to print 52, 53 from whatever, 48. And it's going to be all oil drilling related and supply chain related. And all of a sudden it's going, to, oh my God, they got to raise rates even more. Um, that's number one. So possible, but but not good for bonds. <laughs> Uh, number one number two oil at 120 150 i go back to the initial point i made about unless you get the dollar down and you get oil down the pain in bonds is going to continue foreigners own 7.5 trillion in u.s treasuries total so their central banks own 3.8 trillion of that and they need oil and so if oil's at 120 It's not like they buy 30% less oil and let their people starve and ride bikes. They buy the oil and they sell the treasuries. So if oil goes 121.50, that net rate of treasury selling, effective selling we talked about before, accelerates. So you're going to get, if oil goes 121.50, TLT, when I jumped on here this morning, is at 89. It'd be a friggin' 75. And again, some point between here and there I think the Fed, and, it, and by the way, it could do that in like three weeks, four weeks. So would that hurt oil? Yes, if the Fed is willing to stand aside and let treasury markets dysfunction. In my opinion, there is zero chance the Fed is going to stand aside as TLT goes from 90 to 75 in a few weeks. Or- and
0: what does treasury market dysfunction mean to you? Is it about an absolute level, TLT at, at 75, let's just say the 30-year, the 10-year at, at 5.5%, or is it about a series of asynchronous movements? If we gradually move to 10-year at 6%, but it's not at all volatile, is, is that a, a treasury market breaking? What, what does it mean to you?
1: To me, it's about the, the liquidity and the, the asynchronous of the movements. And, and to be clear, we're talking about, you know whatever, it's 33 trillion out, and what, I think it's, what, a 24 trillion size is what they quote, maybe 25, whatever it is. The, anything that big is going to create asynchronous move. Anything that big relative to balance sheet capacity. Like, who, who has the balance sheet capacity to deal with those kind of losses? You're talking about a twenty five trillion dollar market. If it drops five percent, someone has lost a tr- over trillion dollars. Someone's gained a trillion. someone's lost a trillion. depending on who's lost that trillion and how that's accounted for. like that that requires you to sell something else. And that's why and that something else will force the dollar up, which will force more selling. like I, this, the feedback loops are multiple and, and generally all in one direction because sort of every lever has been pulled to sort of hold this thing up and support it as long as it has been held up.
0: When I proposed September 2024, you said the, the wheels come off this thing earlier. What, what do you think in terms of, of timeline and what are things you will be on the lookout for of, oh, if, when the 10-year hits 5%, this will happen, or when gold hits this level, this will happen?
1: It's a little bit like the whole. <laughs> you may be too young to remember this, and I'm I'm not jacking on that. But there was a, a, a an art exhibition in Cincinnati back in like 1990 of Robert Maplethorpe art, and some federal judge was like, I, you know, I don't have the definition for uh, profane, but I know it when I see it. Mm-mm, and yeah. it's a little bit of the same kind of thing, which is, you know, let's see what the Treasury move index does. It's been relatively tame so far. Let's see what the banks do. Let's see what. Let's see what treasury markets do. Let's see what the dollar does. Let's all these. Let's see what oil does. Let's see what geopolitics do. Right. Like, you know, these things are so interconnected where, you know. Two weeks ago, we saw, you know, Sky News in England reporting on missiles that reporting proudly that British missiles were used to hit Russian ships at a, at a, at a naval base. In, in I think it was in Sevastopol in, in Crimea. And you, you kind of go, hey, great. What do you think the Russians are going to do? Like, you actually think they're just going to sit there and do that? Or, you know, or might they weaponize oil more? And if they weaponize oil more, what does that mean for rates?
0: What are, well, know? then how do, they, how do they fund their war effort? Oh, China will buy it. But that's the fungible China. market. If, if China is buying it, then, you know, oil traders can buy it from China or buy it from India.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. and And...
1: Exactly. right. Oil, it's a fungible market, but it's also a, an elastic market. right? Russia can cut production by 3% and price goes up a hell of a lot more than 3%. And you know, they can do what they just announced two weeks ago, which is, you know, hey, starting in January, we're going to sell gas to China at half the price of the EU. Okay. How do you compete with, with, with gas twice as much as your competitor? And the answer is you don't. You go out of business slowly. And so my point here is it relates to the original question, which is with what, what am I watching? I'm, I'm sort of watching like all of this, right? You know, what, what's, what are the geopolitics? What does the oil market do? The key two key levers, dollar, oil. We'll simplify that. Unless the dollar goes down a lot or unless oil goes down a lot. The beatings in treasury markets and gilt markets and boot markets and Italian bond market, they will continue and they will continue and they will continue until we get a repo rate September 2019 spike, except in Western sovereign bond markets. And then everyone's going to go, I don't see how, how come nobody saw this had happened? How nobody knew the Fed had already broken something. And, and I'm, I'm telling you, they've already broken something. So we can, we can reference back there. How No one could have seen it. I saw it. It is so obvious to
0: me. When was, did the Fed break something?
1: When they decided to tighten instead of let inflation rise.
0: But what was the, the thing that broke? What was the thing that broke? Mm-hmm. The U.S. fiscal position.
1: The U.S. fiscal position and U.S. shale. U.S. tax receipts trailing 12 months as of a month and a half ago down 20%. You don't get to have receipts fall like that when you have debt to GDP of 120%. Why do they fall 20%? Stock market was down, drove receipts down, receipts down, drives issuance up. Mm -hmm. And you already have a supply-demand problem. You don't get to increase supply into what is already a tenuous supply-demand problem. Like there's only so many bears you can poke, right? Like you can't reduce issuance or increase issuance because you knock stocks down increase issuance because you raised rates increase issuance because the dollar is strengthening based on what you've done increase issuance because you've hurt your own oil business which is hurting receipts which is increasing oil inflation which is increasing rates increase issuance because you're picking a fight with the two biggest with the biggest energy supplier in the world and with your biggest former biggest creditor and and the world's factory you don't get to do that you have to pick and, choose. and the, So, like, it's when they didn't let, when the Fed did not let inflation run hot for as long as they needed to, like that, that
0: started it. Now we're just watching it play out. So we said something broke. I feel like, yeah, raising interest rates will mechanically increase interest expense. But so nothing outside the fiscal position has broken. You're, You're just referring to the fiscal position.
1: I would argue the banks have broken. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. the fact that they need to do BTFP. Uh, look, that like that wasn't a banking problem. That was a treasury market problem. They were upside down. Again, if Powell wanted to be Volcker, the answer was very simple. Stand aside. Banks saying, oh, we're upside down. Okay, sell mm-hmm. your treasuries. You you the banks own four of uh, US commercial banks holdings of treasuries have gone from I don't know, at the peak, I want to say there were four and a half trillion give or take, they're down a bit. Let them sell them all, sell them all. They had, you know, oh, they would have taken major losses. So, no, they they, they don't care that they would have taken losses. They didn't want them selling it because it would have created treasury market dysfunction. So the Fed had to get involved. They had to do the BTFP. BTFP is just yield curve control uh, for banks. They're taking underwater bonds and buying them at par. If Powell wanted to be Volcker, stand aside. Why didn't he stand aside? Why did he bail out unsecured
0: depositors? I think because the only way to fix the banking system was door number one is stop quantitative tightening and lower interest rates. And door number two is keep quantitative tightening and keep interest rates high, keep raising interest rates and do BFP, BTFP. I think door number two was the much was the tighter monetary policy door.
1: It was the one that saved the banks. But it was like bank loans are up again. They're rising. So like how, you know, again, if he wanted to be Volcker, he needed to stand aside. And he did. He saved, he 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 picked and choose. You don't get to pick and choose. Like Volcker, just like, you know, kill them all, let God sort them out.
0: Yeah, but I, I'd say Dorne, I'd say Powell. It was the tightest thing you could do. I, I don't think he could have not done BTFP and continued to tighten monetary policy. So, so my next question is: You're not worried about a recession. You're not at all. Sounds like you're not at all worried about higher interest rates causing uh, a recession via the normal channel of banks restricting credit and unemployment. You're not worried about that. No, the the banks aren't the ones with the problem.
1: Well, let me back up. the The traditional way of doing it is banks restrict credit to people, right? Yeah. So. Right now, the banks, their rates went up. My rate didn't go up. I got a 30-year mortgage at 2.9. Mm-hmm. Nice. Right? So, And I'm not the only guy. So no. if I'm making 200 basis points between where my cash on the bank and my mortgage, there's a bank somewhere bleeding 200 basis points. Yep. And in reality, it's probably the government, right? They probably own the, the mortgage back and, and, and the, the Fed's bleeding. Is, is that really not, Is that really restrictive? If I'm getting a 200 basis point a year debt jubilee, that's not restrictive. It's great. I'm getting a free house. Thank you, Fed. And so are a lot of other people. And so it, it ties back to that point about there's a lot of things with this cycle that are upside down in terms of is it restrictive? It, it, it's not restrictive for the public sector. The deficits are, <laughs> the deficits, you know, there is no world in which running an 8%, 8.5% deficit, and 3.5% unemployment is deflationary it just isn't like they, they, it's not and it's not going to be and yes you will have deflationary pockets on the private side that was just netting against for a bit ultimately as that happens you're going to end up with less supply and more money that is is that's super inflationary like they're like they've already that's what I mean they've already broken it they did the wrong thing they needed to let inflation once you get that the gdp to 120% like there's no like, well, maybe we can, no. Negative real rates for five years, double digits, come back, that's it. Or you devalue the currency all at once. That's it. 30, 40, 50% overnight. That's it. Those are your choices. Otherwise, like you try to pretend things are still normal. I can be Volcker. No, it's not how it works. And, and you know, they did a good job pretending in 2022. They um, They tried. It failed. The gilt market broke first. The US banks broke. Yes. Is China under strain? Yes. Is China broken? No. China did not break before the banks. No. China did not break before the gilt market. The treasury market was very, you know, it was defunct- dysfunctioning right alongside the gilt market, just a little, you know, a few steps behind when when Yellen came in and, and, and weakened the dollar, taking taking
0: down TGA so aggressively. What about inflation going to 15%? Then, then interest, uh, real interest rates are negative. That would be great. Yeah,
1: I mean, that's, that's, well, that's what has to happen. Like, that's what's, I mean, will it be great? No, I should rephrase that. Right, like, if they want to get out of this, like, that's kind of what has to happen. You got inflation 15, Fed pens it at three, and you know what? You know, the problem is, is, is you can't do that without some sort of capital controls, right? The Fed's going to have to buy the whole bond market because there are nobody is going to hold a bond at three when, you know, inflation's 15.
0: Well, the clearing price will just be 9%. And that's, that's fine. I mean, interest rates can, you know, the bond, bonds can go to 9%. They can go to 10%, 11%. What, what is so, that's what I'm trying to, to get teased at this conversation. What is so unstable about, you know, very upward sloping yield curve, Fed, Fed is at 5.5%, and the long end sends off, sells off to 10, 7%, 8%.
1: That's totally
0: unstable. Because, okay, so 55 at the front end,
1: 9 at the long end. The housing market has tanked across the country, in my opinion. Let's set aside all the corporate refinancings that are going to have to take place. Then, and that probably hurts things too. The equity market is probably quite a bit lower. So between the housing market and the equity market, quite a bit lower, you are going to have tax receipts quite a bit lower. So your issuance is going to be quite a bit higher. So, okay, so now you're going to need more issuance. 9% long end means the dollar is quite a bit higher. That means that $3.8 trillion that foreign central banks have is quite a bit lower.
0: So, Wait, isn't that good for the US? No. Well, good for the US, hot. In, in terms What's of its fiscal the US? position.
1: Be- no, because
0: it's liable, it's, li- it's well, f- foreigners' holdings have declined in value. That's good. That's terrible
1: because <laughs> they're selling. The, well, how, does, how is that good for the United States? Whether it's good or bad is irrelevant. Here's what it is, like is, is what it is. Foreigners will be selling. 3.8, go back to that math. Okay, let's say 5% front end, 9% long end. US tax receipts fall another 20% from 4.2 uh, to whatever, 3.3. You're gonna be running much bigger deficits, so remember the the numbers I just gave you before in terms of the spending. What did I say? Seven point four trillion between interest, entitlements, and defense against three point three trillion in receipts. So now you're at the four point one trillion in deficits you need to finance. Okay. Plus you need five trillion in roll next year, per Jamie Dimon. Plus you need you're going to be, the dollars gonna be much higher. Foreigners are gonna be selling. Yes. Now, so is it good or is it bad? Is it putting them in pain? Sure, it's putting them in pain. But it's again, it's like shooting yourself, you know, in the jugular and saying, "Ha ha ha!" You know, I'm going to bleed out slower than you are. They have 3.8 trillion at the central bank, 7.5 trillion overall. Let's say they sell that 3.8 trillion in a year. Let's say they sell it in, at, at, a, at a trillion nine a year rate.
0: And the reason they'll be selling is to defend
1: their currency. Correct. So now you've got, what did I say, 7.4 minus 3.3 in receipts, so 4.1 net plus 5 trillion in roll plus 1.9. So you're now going to have 6, just 4.1 plus 1.9 is 6 trillion in net effective issuance. And you're going to have the Fed selling another 1.2, allegedly. That probably not; wouldn't be happening, but OK, so now you have the 7.3 trillion net effective issuance. That's just over $600 billion a month in net effective issuance. And now you're also going to have 5 trillion in roll. Where's the balance sheet? What's the, the rating going to be nine? The, rate, the rate's not gonna be five and a half. Like there's no balance sheet. So is this good for the US? Yeah, again, as long as Powell is willing to stand aside and let the free market work, Right. But that implied, thats why I say. There's there's no breaks. You're going to get a nonlinear rise in rates because there isn't the balance sheet at these rates. There just isn't. So now, the higher you get a nonlinear rise in rates, guess what? Oops, it's not seven one. It's it's oof. It's eight one. Oof. It's nine. So there's only one outcome. The Fed's going to have to buy it.
0: What about banks buying it and using the repo facility, the thing that was set up for in 2019, which is the limit? I think is 500 billion, but the limit is essentially un- unlimited. Sure, that's just QE. That's all okay, it is. okay, but it, but it, it's the <laughs> banks owning it rather than the Fed owning it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, just like SLR exemptions, were the banks rather than the Fed owning it. Like
0: if the banks, if the Fed
1: gives the banks the money to buy it, you know, if your dad gives you the money to yeah. buy a Lamborghini,
0: is it your Lamborghini, your dad's yeah. Lamborghini, it's your dad's Lamborghini? Okay, but, um, but that's not the that facility already exists, so it's not. Sure, yeah. oh, I'm not
1: saying. To be clear, I'm not saying there aren't buyers. I'm yeah. saying the buyer is, the, it's, it's the classic, the dollar or the, or the treasury market. And the mm-hmm. Fed is going to have to come in and in some way, shape or form. And you know we've been very clear about this in our writing. Like When I say the Fed, it's dollar liquidity. It, it can be treasury with buybacks. It can be SLR exemptions reinstated at the banking level. It can be the, the standing repo facility. It can be all these things. All those things are just QE. And you'll have purists say, no, no, it's not QE, and the market's going to be like, you know, like like Tommy Lee Jones in the in the fugitive, right? You know, I don't care. They're going to buy gold. They're going to, and I think that's why gold is not going down. Like, the math is so clear. Like, the Fed's going to have to buy it in some way, shape, or form because when you lay out the numbers, there isn't the balance sheet. Like, like when I lay out that whatever it was, six trillion conservative plus five trillion roll. By way of comparison, global GDP is. What is it? 90 trillion? Growing three? Okay, that's 2.7 trillion in global GDP growth. The U.S. will need incremental, and that's, that's assuming growth. We're talking about a global recession, so it's actually shrinking. But let's be conservative. 3 trillion in global growth, and the U.S. government needs two X that just in their current financing, net effective, let alone the role. Like there's not enough balance sheet. Like people aren't taking a step back and going, "Oh my God!" Like, and they say, "Well, it'll get bought." Well, yeah, it'll get bought. I'm not saying it's not gonna get bought. It'll get bought by the Fed or it'll get bought by the private sector at much higher rates. And then we just keep playing this game until the rate gets to a point where the Fed says, "Enough, we're buying it," and it's not gonna gonna go higher.
0: But the so but the repo facilities so that already exists. Do you think that is sufficient? In other words, the Fed can keep rates at five point five percent and keep reducing its balance sheet. They're just making loans to the private sector to to buy this collateral as it you know occurred in uh, twenty nineteen. Because there is a difference. I mean, yeah. If your dad lends money to buy a car, yeah, it's it's, it's not uh, your car, but you do own the car. You are just your dad. I mean, presumably you know it's a f- nice uh, arrangement there, but. But like if a you know a bank lends you money to buy a house the bank doesn't own the house and the, ba- the fed lends Oh the- sure they do? Oh absolutely yeah. they
1: do. Absolutely they do.
0: It's a, it's <laughs> don't pay them. See how quickly they see how cohesive as you are. Yeah, but JP Morgan house. can pay the 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 fed back. If 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 if, if a 10-year is yielding 7% and mm-hmm. you know five repo rates at 5.5% where short-term interest rates are, JP Morgan they're good for the money, you know, as are most banks. Like that's a that's a positive. do we just need positive carry in the yield curve and then banks can basically do a levered trade with treasuries borrowing from the Fed.
1: That's why I say about getting the dollar down. That's, yeah. That's Unless you get the dollar down or oil down, the treasury market is going to keep dysfunction. That will get the dollar down. If they do it in enough liquidity, then yeah, then that will work. You've got to get the dollar down. Like that's what you're, that's what you're saying is they're going to devalue the dollar. Yeah. Okay. Then yeah, sure. That'll work. But you're not going to, you know, that's the other side of this equation. Five, five, nine. Well, yeah, it'll work at the dollars at 70, not at one Oh five.
0: Hmm. Where what do you see happening to the dollar now? I mean, it's been strengthening for uh, a little bit now.
1: I think it's going to get. It's, it's the corollary to the. You know, unless they get the dollar down, or they get oil, and they get oil down. Not even or, really, and the dollar's going to keep going up mm-hmm. because they're they have they have broken this already. They are in this feedback loop. They don't understand they're in this feedback loop. Maybe they do. I think I think they do a little bit. I think they're a little nervous.
0: Yeah, I, I kind of sensed a little bit of nervousness from Powell in the September meeting that I, I don't normally sense from him. You're you see, not the he, first he, he used the I words "be careful." You, you you've seen the movie Margin Call? <laughs> I have, yes. Yeah, yeah. So there's a scene when the boss, uh, played by Stanley Tucci, gives the the key, the what's it called, the flash drive to the you know the the kid, and he says, "Be careful." I was
1: working on something, but they wouldn't let me finish it. So take a look at it. Be careful.
0: I kind of felt like that when Powell said, be careful seven times, you I know, mean, not that I'm predicting a some great financial crisis, but uh, yeah. D- you think they are nervous?
1: If, if they, if they understand what they're in, I'd be, I'd be
0: crapping my pants.
1: They are very dangerously close to discrediting themselves with rate hikes, which is, which would be just delicious irony. It would be yeah. delicious irony. Yeah, I do. Because again, it's, it's ultimately a fiscal problem. They didn't, The playbook on these things is so clear. They're so clear they wrote a white paper about it seven years ago. There is a very concrete set of steps you have to follow. And they have gone about since 2022 a monetary policy that is based on a set of circumstances that is simply Not correct. I wrote a tweet the other day of, you know, from Parks and Recreation of whatever his name is, throwing the the computer in the garbage. Oh, yeah. And I said, This is me, you know, the Fed has never raised rates, let alone this fast, with debt to GDP at 120%, trailing 12 month deficits at at 8%, 8 rising, with the U.S. net international investment position at negative 65% of GDP, and with the U.S. being the biggest. Marginal high-cost oil producer in the world, responsible for ninety percent of global production growth. Like that set of circumstances, like you simply couldn't do what they did. It it you it was it was like I, I can't it, how wrong it was. It was hundred percent the wrong thing. Now were they forced into it by politics domestically with inflation? Probably were they forced into it a bit geopolitically with what Russia did? Probably a little bit. But again, I don't care. It doesn't matter. They did. They did the wrong thing at the wrong time, and so now we're starting to see, you know, the implications of that. Shale's rolling over. The SBR is drawn down. Tax mm-hmm. receipts are down. Deficits are up. Debt to GDP hasn't fallen. Like, I would be, you know, if they haven't figured out yet that like they're in serious. I, I
0: think they're starting to. And I, we haven't discussed at all the. The chance of the U.S. government spending less money—that's that's not on the table, right?
1: No, this is a little bit like the only thing it saves them is some sort of productivity miracle,
0: right? So they roll out some sort of um, nuclear,
1: you know, fission, like you yeah. know, portable reactors, and, and I hear s- these things do exist in some form, right? So if they came out and said, "Hey, you know, instead of giving Zelensky another whatever, we're going to spend you know a hundred billion dollars and we will put these things in over the next year," and you know people are going to get really cheap electricity and, and Starlink and, and, and okay, maybe you could start, you know, you're going to get a productivity bump, et cetera, et cetera, failing that. And there's other productivity or energy mirror productivity and miracles or energy miracles you could have, but failing that here too. Like, I don't think people understand, you know, when you have a severe disease, you don't get the weight, too, too long and then say like, oh, okay, now I'm ready to be healed. Now I'm ready to get serious. No, once you get to a certain point, like they put you in palliative care, they make you comfortable and and they let you die. And the metaphor for that, for the fiscal side is U.S. deficit to GDP is eight and a half percent almost on a trailing 12 month basis. So let's just take it, let's not take it to flat, like we were under Clinton, which was a fluke itself, but let's, let's take it to where we were with Volcker, to two. That means we need to cut six and a half points of GDP. Now. That means GDP is going to fall six and a half percent. Now. Annual GDP in the great financial crisis fell three to four and nearly collapsed the banking system. Annual GDP in COVID, when we shut the friggin' economy down, fell like six. You can't do it. The the, the mathematically, the mismatch between when you pick up productivity for getting the government out of the way in three to five years versus the GDP hit now relative to the leverage in the system, you again, unless Powell unless they are willing to stand aside and let the banking system collapse at the US government shut down, lay off the Marine Corps, no, that it is not a possibility. And that sets aside all the politics. I, mean, I'm just saying it's mathematically impossible. I'm not even talking about whether it's politically impossible, which, by the way, it is.
0: Yeah. So, what, what do you think about the stock market? What do what do stocks do here in this scenario that you you envision? I guess before the pivot and then after the pivot. So there's two ways to think about it.
1: The U.S. is in an Argentina situation. That's what I'm describing. It is in an Argentina. Absolutely. Okay, yeah. As soon as the Fed tried to tighten rates before they let debt to GDP go down, they were they they had put themselves. They're in fiscal dominance. That's that's what this is all about. The fact that the Fed hiked rates and we're now have interest and in, and in, in entitlements above receipts, you know, interest ex- it, that's fiscal dominance. Like the fiscals driving the boat.
0: The fiscals driving the boat, fiscal dominance sure, but Argentina, you know, they had a lot of debt denominated in, in a currency they couldn't print. And no one really wants Argentine pesos that you could, but you can print, you can print the fed can print the U S dollar. The U S government can print dollars. They can't, but
1: they can't print. They can't print healthcare goods and services. The United States owes its baby boomers $70 trillion in healthcare, goods and services and social security. Social security is inflation adjusting as we're seeing. Number two, they don't, the boomers aren't owed whatever it is, 35, 40 trillion in Medicare in dollars, they're owed hips. They wrote knees, they wrote drugs, they wrote, that's a foreign currency. Absolutely. We do. And that's a part people also leave. So the more we can't print out of that, that's that's a fact. So we we do, and that's something people still, again, on this bond trade, I hear that a lot. Well, we can print our currency. You can't print hips and knees. You can't print drugs. You can't print doctors. No, you can't. That's a foreign currency. We owe, we owe baby boomers $35, $40 trillion in a foreign currency.
0: Sure in in that sense, everyone's in argentina, but but financially I'm just saying that you know the u s does not owe pesos that Argentina owed dollars so okay, so what does the stock market do? So what's the stock market do for the period of
1: time until as long as we stay in this dollar up rates up dynamic, the stock market probably I mean, it's, it's not good for the NASDAQ. It's not good for the banks. I think it will increasingly be good for, you'll see a vicious sector rotation that we've been seeing towards industrials and commodities, et cetera. Ultimately, it's super good for the stock market, right? Argentine stock market in pesos went to the moon. and and mm-hmm. and the doc,
0: and Because again, the balance sheet's not there. But you're not, Argentine, you know, inflation was like 60%. You're not forecasting that for the US. No, not, not yet. yet. Yeah, yeah. Not yet, but you know- Again, you get it'll probably It'll
1: be they have to get (laughs) the only thing keeping the U.S. out of a fiscal crisis was the inflation the Fed has been fighting. That's why that was the mistake. That's when that's when they broke something, and now we're just seeing it mark
0: the market. So, so this will be the environment you envision will be good for stocks. Ultimately, yes. In the short run, no. Got it. Okay. So we know your view you're bearish on short term. uh, Excuse me, you're bearish on long term rates. That view has aged. Very well. What about short term rates? If you think the Federal Reserve is going to cut rates, the two year probably looks pretty attractive. What do you think? Probably. But to me,
1: you know, I mean, and we've been recommending this whole time, you know, short term treasuries. Like I've been, you know, recommending this barbell approach since the last, I don't know, clients probably know better than me, probably last, probably much of the last year, where, you know, we're probably more than last year. At any rate, overweight cash, overweight short term treasuries, significantly overweight gold, significantly overweight Bitcoin. Significantly over, excuse me. Significantly overweight U.S. electrical infrastructure, overweight industrials, overweight oil, and so yeah. Look, if the Fed cuts rates, will will short term Treasuries do well? Yeah, probably. Will they do as well as gold, Bitcoin, and oil? No, no. Especially with oil, you know, if they have to cut rates, as I think they're going to have to, with oil at ninety plus, or 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 or, and maybe they don't cut rates. Maybe they just do, you know. The latest iteration of not QE, QE, whether it's treasury buybacks or BTFP or not QE or whatever, you know, the, the market functioning purchases of treasuries that aren't QE, please don't, you know, let please let us keep our credibility, not QE. Yeah, it's going to be great for oil and, and, and gold and Bitcoin. I don't think it's going to be great for, I think it'll be fine for short-term treasuries if they cut rates. I just don't think it's the optimal way to express it. Why does gold do well in this environment and Bitcoin? Oh because they are simply duration longer duration assets with a, a a more fixed supply and a face value that can rise. They they do well when a nation has a fiscal problem. And when the reserve currency issue of the world and her allies all have fiscal problems and hers is at le- you know but <laughs> hers is at least as bad and probably worse than the others, even Europe, then that's really good for gold and bitcoin.
0: What about, do you think, is Russia selling gold to fund its war?
1: They're not selling gold. They sold some gold earlier this year. They bought it all back. The latest update last week was their holdings were back to 2023 highs.
0: Okay, interesting. How come gold isn't up more?
1: Oh, that's a whole different, that's a complicated story. Gold is a very politically
0: managed metal. (laughs) But Bitcoin is not.
1: No, Bitcoin's much less managed. And I think Bitcoin responded to, to last year's liquidity draw very, very aggressively.
0: So, but the monetary future that you envision is Does gold and Bitcoin play a role as a medium of exchange. In other words, you know, going back to the gold standard or going forward to a gold standard or going forward to a Bitcoin standard, or is it more like it's a call option of the dollar fiat currencies are really performing like trash. So let's just get something where the denominator is fiat currency. In other words, but what if what I'm saying, my question is, what is the. How do you exercise that call option? Like, are people going to be going to the store to you know buy coffee with gold or or bitcoin? The, the
1: answer to the last question is no. The answer to the yeah. first question is earlier. You said the 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 bank, the Fed, will lend the money to the banks to buy the treasuries, or it'll it'll get bought you know somehow that way. Yeah, yeah, that is not the primary reserve asset of the world anymore. Would you sell finite oil production and store it in treasuries? that are being bought by the banks who are getting the money from the Fed who is creating that money out of thin air? No, you can't. Away from any political and economic, mathematically, you can't run a system that way, the system will collapse. And so what is needed to address the supply demand issue in treasuries will force a systemic change and not only will, is forcing a systemic change by which gold has become the primary marginal reserve asset and has been for 10 years already. Since not, since 2014, global central banks have not added treasuries. I think they've sold $600 billion treasuries, uh, $600 billion worth of treasuries on net at the central bank level since 3Q14, and they bought about 3 dollars to $400 billion worth of gold. And a lot of that was last year after the U.S. sanctioned Russian FX reserve. So this isn't speculative that... Gold will be moving back into the system as a reserve asset. Gold has been, is, and has been, and will continue to, driven and enforced by peak cheap oil. You can't sell more and more expensive oil or oil that's more expensive, take your dollars or whatever currency you sell it in and store them in sovereign debt whose value declines against oil. You're better off just storing the oil, keeping the oil in the ground. And so you have to have a reserve asset that can rise in price or or either rise in face value, rise in price, or have the rates rise enough to compensate you for the inflation in energy. And the reality is, is sovereign debt can't rise over $1,000 face value. And the reality mathematically is that the U.S. Treasury cannot afford interest rates over, I don't know what it is. I would argue we're already there, but maybe it's six, maybe it's seven. I don't know. It's not too much far, but further beyond that. I would argue with 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 tax receipts already down 20 would tell you they can't afford five. So yeah, you're I you're you're already transitioning to this system. I think it will continue. And you know, how do you get out of that trade? I plan on selling my gold to JP Morgan and they'll credit my bank account. And I suspect it'll probably be a lot higher price because it's going back into the system.
0: And how do you, um, do you, do you think that the reserve currency will still be the dollar or will it be another f- fiat currency? I think
1: it'll still be the dollar, but it, it's, it'll be you know, a
0: much more,
1: it'll be the fix to what, what Russia and China are doing, are just moving the system to what it should have been after World War II. And they said that, the, the, the PBOC said that 15 years ago. They said the system, in, at the end of World War II, there were two choices, the Keynes's Bancor system, where there was a neutral reserve asset made up of commodities, and then there was the dollar. And we went with the dollar. And the fact that the dollar, we've had all these crises, et cetera, shows that we should have gone with the other one, and we're going to move back to this other system. Like they told you that 15 years ago, and their actions have shown that they're moving back towards that. So I think we're moving back to yeah, dollar's global reserve currency, but, but reserve, primary reserve assets going to be gold at a floating price in all currencies.
0: That's, that's very interesting. Luke, thank you for, for sharing your perspective. Before you go, tell us about Forest for the Trees. What are your different offerings? And do, do you, just, you just have one offering or are there different sort of tiers? And, and where can people find your work? Yeah, there's different tiers. We've got a mass market business. We have an institutional business. And
1: you can find out more about us, fftt-llc.com. And you can also find me on Twitter, at Luke Grohman, L-U-K-E-G-R-O-M-E-N.
0: Yep, yep. People know you on Twitter and we got the your handle on there. Luke, thank you so much for for joining and thank you everyone for watching. Thanks for having me on.